0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, May 15th, 2021. Well, if you can remember all the way back to those 1990s, I you remember people walking around with bracelets on them that had four letters, W-W-J-D. And as you probably know, those letters stood for something. It was meant to remind you to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? And obviously it was these bracelets and it became this whole product line uh, of things, but a lot of it was coming back to that question, what would Jesus do, and trying to encourage people to ask that question. Well, as we dig into God's word together today, we're going to find that if we really ask that question, if we really honestly uh, think of our own lives and we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do, we're going to find that the answer is going to be a lot more intense than maybe we would have thought where a lot of times people were encouraged to ask that question maybe in specific situations. But if we think through it at the level really of our whole life, what would Jesus do? We're going to find that he gives us an answer to that question. We don't need to wonder. He shows us and he tells us. And he does that in a passage we're going to look at today in Mark 8, 22 through 38. Mark 8:22 through 38. And I want us to to focus a little bit here on Jesus and his interactions with his disciples here. Uh, Jesus asks them the question, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say some people think you're John the Baptist, some people think you're Elijah, one of the prophets, and he asks them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter hits the nail right on the head and says, you are the Christ. And that is that is the correct answer. Jesus is the Messiah. And he strictly charges them to tell no one. And after that, he starts to teach them things about himself. And basically what he teaches is that he is going to suffer. He is going to be rejected and he is going to be killed. And then he will rise again. And as he says all of this, Peter takes him aside and gently wants to explain to Jesus how um, he is incorrect. Now, imagine that for a moment. Imagine trying to correct Jesus Christ, but that is what Peter does. And to give Peter a little bit of credit, I mean, he's thinking, and clearly we know this is not... uh, presenting a full understanding of even what the Old Testament taught, as Jesus will explain. No, the Old Testament clearly taught the Messiah had to suffer, but Peter, he doesn't get all this. And he's saying, wait, if you're the Christ, you're not going to die. You're going to be this victorious king. But look at how Jesus rebukes Peter here. He says, get behind me, Satan, right? And that's the famous part. You, you've heard people talk about that line before. Maybe you use that jokingly to someone you feel is, is tempting you. Um, but look at what he says next. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That is why he rebukes him, because he's saying, Peter, you're looking at this from a totally human perspective, and from a human perspective, the Messiah suffering makes no sense. But from God's perspective, the Messiah suffering and dying is the plan. It is what is going to happen. And even we have seen, going through the Gospel of John at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, that Jesus thought of his humiliation of being crucified and his glorification, and he saw them as linked, that uh, the glory of Christ came because he went to the cross. And so while Peter couldn't see that coming, and to be honest, you or I probably would not have seen that coming, that was part of God's plan. That the cross was the road to glory. And so now we come back to what would Jesus do? Well, we start with what did Jesus do? And he went to the cross. He suffered and died. And so when we think, what would Jesus do? Well, it's going to be following in those footsteps. And that is exactly what he calls for in the end of the passage today. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so he is calling those who would follow him to take up their cross and follow him. And that's where it's good for us to be reminded what the cross was. It was a symbol of torture and death. And he is calling people to take up their cross cross to follow him. And I think one of the reasons why is Jesus, he saw the cross as part of the path to glory. And I think he's trying to teach us the same thing, that true glory is going to come through sacrifice and that there is something good in that for us. And he calls us to take up our cross to follow him, that we must die to ourselves or deny ourselves, as he says there in verse 34, to follow Christ. And he says, "Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, there's both a positive and a negative aspect to that verse. Obviously, it starts with the negative, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you try to make yourself all about your comfort and your desires and everything right here, right now, you will lose your life. But then there's the positive. When we lose our life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospels, our lives will be saved. That there is there is abundant life to be found in the sacrifice of giving up our desires, denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus Christ. Christ. And so I want all of us to just think about that today what Jesus is calling us to. He set the example, He went to the cross. Now He is calling us to follow that example. And that means we have to give up control, we have to give up our own desires, we have to give up sin, Uh, all of these things to follow Christ that we're going to say he is the boss, he's in control, and I'm willing to um, give up the opinion of the world. I'm willing, if it comes to it, to give up my life for his sake and for the gospels. And what we will find is in, in that sacrificial act, there is life, there is glory. And may we experience that on a daily basis as we take up our cross, deny ourselves to follow Jesus Christ. Now, as we give up sin in that we're, we're going to see some specific examples that help us to think about that today in our reading. And first we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it starts with a verse that I think is very good for all of us to understand uh, and especially as we consider it in the full context of what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 6:12 through 20. And that is, he starts by saying, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, that is a good reminder that um, just because we can do something does not mean that we should. And that's a true in many ways for Christians, that there is might be something you can do that is not necessarily a sinful thing to do, but that doesn't mean that you should do it. And there could be a whole variety of reasons why that is so, but one thing as we get to the end of this chapter, very clearly we are given a command in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. And he goes on really to describe why uh, he says this and even some of the unique things about sexual sin, because he talks about how every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person commits sins against his own body. And if we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, we want to be extra careful about that sin that we were bought with a priced. And even in the act of sexual immorality, you are joining yourself with another person. And now we are dragging God into that sin as believers. So we need to flee from sexual immorality. And that's where maybe let's pair verse 12 there with verse 18 and think all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And then verse 18, flee sexual immorality. That For Christians, another thing we need to grasp, an idea we need to cling to, is that when we come to questions of sin, one thing we should always be considering is not, well, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? The question should be, how far away can I get from sin and wickedness as I can, right? We are told to not just merely avoid sexual immorality, we are called to flee from sexual immorality. And so just think through that, that might mean there might be some things um, that you might be allowed to do that might not technically be sinful, but it might put you in a situation where there is temptation and we are called to flee from sexual immorality. So I want to encourage you today, even just as you think about your own life, what are some of the ways you will be tempted in this area, and what very practically will it look like for you to flee from sexual immorality today? Think through even just a few specific things, pray about those things, and take the command of this passage to heart. And we see a negative example when it comes to temptation or sin or dealing with sin in 1 Samuel today. And here we're going to see Saul, again, uh, not do what God had told him to do. And that is with the Amalekites. God tells them in response to the sin of the Amalekites, he tells Saul to go and to wipe them out. And Saul does not do this. He does not obey. And Samuel rebukes him and he calls him out for the sin that he has done. And there's this great scene where Saul comes back, and Samuel comes to him, and Saul says, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul says, Hey, I did what God said. And Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Samuel's saying, You didn't do what God told you to do. But then we're gonna see Saul make excuses. And Samuel's not interested in those excuses. And more importantly, God is not interested in those excuses. And then you see Saul, I think, give an example of what kind of false repentance and worldly sorrow looks like because he realizes, oh, the kingdom is being taken away from me. Now I'm sorry. And he even tries to grab Samuel's robe. I think we see he's very sorrowful over the consequences of his sin, not necessarily the sin itself. And so let us think through that with our own lives. May we not make excuses for sin. And even as we think about um, sexual sin, as was talked about in First Corinthians, let's be reminded, let's not make any excuses for that in our own lives. But may we also be encouraged where if you struggle with guilt for sins that you've committed in the past, remember what we read yesterday in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, just before our, our reading today, where it talks about how such were some of you that there is going to be sin in our past, but we have been washed, cleansed, sanctified by Jesus Christ. But the only way we're going to know that forgiveness, that washing and that cleansing is if we do come before God and own up to our sin and lay it before the Lord. Recently, we also read Psalm 51. Consider the response of David over his sin to the response of Saul here. And you're going to see a difference. And ultimately, we're going to start to see in verse 16, or 1 Samuel chapter 16, how David is going to be chosen to be the king over Israel. Uh, and we will see that and the drama that's going to create between Saul and David in the days to come as we continue reading 1 Samuel. Finally, let's go to Psalm 60. And yesterday we saw there is a mixture here. There is some, uh, th- some words here that... Are, where clearly the psalmist is struggling, struggling with what is going on, but there still is that confidence in God. And we see that very clearly, just even in the last few verses, where verse 10 says, Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man." With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. And here you kind of see a progression where verse 10, it's kind of this despair. Verse 11, it's bringing the request to God. And verse 12, now it's confidence. And hopefully we can see some of that in our own lives, where when we are struggling and feeling on the edge of despair, we turn that into a request and we go before God. And that request helps us turn despair into confidence. And hopefully that's something from this Psalm, Psalm 60, that can encourage you today. Uh, But as we live our lives today, may we follow the example of Christ. As we ask ourselves, what what would Jesus do? Let's remember what Jesus did. He took his cross. He willingly followed the the plan of God, and he denied himself himself. Uh, And that was what he did. May we follow in those footsteps today. May we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ and find really the joy and the life that can only be found in doing that. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.